Hello, and welcome to this short lecture from the History Teachers Talking Podcast. I am Peter Zablocki. My fellow history teacher and best friend Tom Reska and I co-host full-length episodes of History Teachers Talking Podcast, where we decided to supplement the longer episodes with these short lectures that will be brought to you by either myself or by Tom and dispersed between our regularly scheduled topics and conversations. Ever wonder what the State of the Union Address is all about? Well, let's find out. The formal basis for the State of the Union Address is from the United States Constitution. It stems from Article 2, Section 3, Clause 1. It says, The President shall from time to time give to Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. Including Joe Biden's recent address, there have been a total of 98 in-person annual messages or State of the Union addresses. The mandated presidential message has gone through a few changes over the years. It was initially known as the annual message from 1790 until 1946. It began to be informally called the State of the Union message or address from 1942 to 1946. Since 1947, it has officially been known as the State of the Union address. Harry Truman was the first president to officially refer to it as such. Initially, and up to the early 19th century, the annual message was both a long administrative report on the various departments of the executive branch and a budget and economic message. And while for the first 12 years of the United States, President George Washington and John Adams both delivered the president's message much like it is done today, they traveled to Congress and gave an oral speech to them, it all changed when Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, took the reins in 1801. Instead of going in front of Congress, Thomas Jefferson decided that he's simply going to send them a message, a letter, more or less, every single year. Publicly, he said that such a change would take up less of the legislator's time and prevent any legislator from feeling pressured to come up with their own response. Some historians believe that the truth behind the measure, however, was the fact that President Thomas Jefferson was extremely shy and did not like speaking in front of a lot of people. Every president for the next hundred years after Thomas Jefferson followed his lead and sent in a letter as their annual message to Congress. All of that, however, would change with President Woodrow Wilson in 1913. It also changed the nature of the State of the Union Address. Wilson decided that he's going to address Congress personally to promote his agenda. The announcement itself stunned official Washington. Congress was astonished. Yet the speech, which technically was not an annual message by any means, went over really well and the press coverage was very positive. He delivered five more in person before reverting to written messages for his final two years due to the fact that he was in bad health. We could say Woodrow Wilson revived the in-person speech to Congress in 1913. From that point forward, it became a platform for the president to rally support for his agenda, more so than an actual address on the State of the Union. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. 
The first radio broadcast of the message was delivered by President Calvin Coolidge in 1923. The first television broadcast of the message was delivered by President Harry Truman in 1947, also the year when it was officially called the State of the Union Address. The first televised evening delivery of the message came courtesy of President Lyndon Johnson in 1965. First live webcast on the internet was delivered by President George W. Bush in 2002. And the first high-definition television broadcast of the message was also delivered by George W. Bush in 2004. The longest State of the Union address was delivered by President James Earl, or Jimmy, Carter at 33,667 awards in 1981. President Bill Clinton, 9,190 awards in 1995, comes in as a close second. The shortest speech was delivered by President George Washington in 1790. It only contained 1,089 words. The average length in the 19th century was about 10,000 words, while in the late 20th century, it was about 5,000 words. The most messages or addresses given belonged to the president, who was the president for the longest time, President Franklin Roosevelt. He delivered a total of 12 addresses. 10 were personal appearances before Congress. The other two, because of his health issues, were also written out. The fewest messages or addresses given belong to Zachary Taylor, 1, President William Henry Harrison, 0, and President James A. Garfield, 0. Reason for that? They died before they got a chance. Because of technological changes, such as radio, television, and the internet, the State of the Union has developed into a forum for the President to speak directly to the American people. As for the practice of inviting special guests that are highlighted through the video telecast, that all began with Ronald Reagan. The first special guest was Lenny Skutnik. In January of 1982, a plane crashed into Washington, D.C.'s 14th Street Bridge and fell into the Potomac River, killing 78 people. In the chaos, Congressional Budget Office employee Lenny Skutnik jumped into the river and helped rescue a passenger. So the Ronald Reagan administration invited Skutnik to the State of the Union address two weeks later, where the president personally praised him for his heroism. Members of Congress gave him a standing ovation as TV cameras panned over to Skutnik. Future presidents would soon expand on this practice to include not just heroes, but also ordinary Americans whose stories and or faces could help illustrate one of the speech's points. These UAGs would soon dub these guests Skutniks. In the words of reporter Jeff Greenfield, a Skudnik is a human prop used by a speaker to make a political point. Let's not kid ourselves and not exaggerate how influential presidential speeches can be. The president, after all, has very little power to change congressional minds and win support for controversial bills with rhetoric alone. Even the public won't likely move much, based on a State of the Union speech. But some have truly stood the test of time particularly those that signal a major change in foreign policy, where the president has more room to act on his own. Back in December of 1823, President James Monroe used his seventh annual message to announce that the American continents were not to be considered as subjects for future colonization by any European powers. This, of course, was known as the Monroe Doctrine and became the cornerstone of American foreign policy for centuries to come, specifically in the Western Hemisphere. In 1941, FDR made a similar statement by listing his four freedoms that the United States would defend all over the world, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. These were the principles which stood behind the American forces that went to fight the dictatorships of World War II. And perhaps the most memorable State of the Union in recent times was George W. Bush's address of January 2002. It was the first one delivered after 9-11. In it, he named an axis of evil consisting of North Korea, Iran, and Iraq 
the last of which he spent the most time on. He said that these states were pursuing weapons of mass destruction and when allied with terrorists and vowed that America will do what is necessary to ensure our nation's security. It became President Bush's most memorable line of his presidency. Can you think of some memorable State of the Union addresses? Well, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.